Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective, the rugby podcast that is not sure if Jiffy will still be following them in an hour. My name is Robbie or Squidge or whatever you want to call me. I am joined as ever by Will Owen. How are we doing? All right, and I remain blocked by Jiffy. <laughs> Two opposite <laughs> ends of the spectrum. Yep. And I am joined. We are, we're both joined. We're delighted Ooh. to be joined once yeah, again. Yeah, me and him are allowed to converse, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you cleared up the rules before I start just in case. I don't want to step on any toes. I'm the guest here. <laughs> hey, say whatever you like. You're just saying before we start recording that you are yet to say anything on a podcast that will get you fired from work. And I'm hoping we can break that today. And it can be about <laughs> Jiffy as well. Um... Yeah, Jiffy's going to complain to your workplace. I, yeah. Well, I mean, what a way to go. I, feel, I, I can't think of any any better way to go. I mean, I, I I don't know how many times he can fit numbers into a letter that demands my resignation, but I'm sure he'll find a way. <laughs> it's amazing that it'd be the first time Jiffy said something that could have got him fired, because nothing he can say on commentary would actually see him lose his job. He'll just be there forever. Like, he'll be a skeleton, and those who still be propping him up in the Millennium Stadium to just, like, spurt out numbers. And, and Eddie Butler, seemingly, despite Eddie Butler slagging off his employers. Yeah. yeah. And what a terrible, what a terrible product I'm a big part of. <laughs> <laughs> it explains even more so why he's clearly phoning it in on URC games. Yeah, because why... he, doesn't, he doesn't read it even. Eddie, yeah. To be fair, I don't think Eddie Butler likes anything that's not French. <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's the biggest problem we've got. He As likes... we see when he did his, his, his live bit for Scrum 5 before the Six Nations started, mm. even his cushions were French. <laughs> he had French flag cushions in his house in Newport. He likes the French and he likes trains. And that is the Eddie Butler way. <laughs> and he he likes saying trains names in French as well. <laughs> that's his favorite that's his real favorite thing. Yeah. It's um yeah, from Rock and Roll Grav Prosser, by the way, just to, to <laughs> yeah. actually do the introduction. How are you doing? How how are we? Oh yeah, we're we're fine. I'm a man who needs no introductions, even me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you've had one now. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> kind of ruined that whole yeah. vibe you had going. So the game we're supposedly here to cover today is where it was 40 points to nine win over Canada from the Rugby World Cup. The last pool game for these two teams in the first World Cup. Both teams weren't enable to qualify if they won. Wales with the far greater chance they could have done it if they just got a draw or if Canada didn't score enough tries. Whereas Canada knew if they won, they could they could go they could go through. And they went in weirdly blase about it. So, Grab, to start, what is your relationship, your experience of watching rugby from this time, watching rugby from the 80s? Well, I was I, I worked it out and I was only one when this game okay. was played. So it's fair to say I don't remember it that well. So you were <laughs> You watching it, it out, and it was one year after you were born. 
Yeah. I was, um, I mean, I did turn two in the December, <laughs> oh. I will say. So there was a little Congratulations. bit of that needed to be done. I, I've, I've subsequently added more numbers to that um, mm. with each year passing. Frustrating, no, that is. <laughs> yeah, it, it just never stops. And then, well, it does eventually. That's when it's really bad. <laughs> not, not for Jiffy, he's so propped up. <laughs> well, he'd lo- already a talk of numbers this early on. Yes. Jiffy's in. I, I found watching it this time, I loved everything about this game except mm. most of the rugby. <laughs> <laughs> well, Every, so everything Grav, rugby adjacent is superb. Grav, it, it bears uh, repeating. So, we recently played together at a game in Southport, mm, the, yeah. uh, the lovely, the Nick RFC charity game that we played together. That was the first time we met in person. And yeah. we started warming up. And it was extremely lacklustre, one could say. And immediately, not a minute had gone in our little warm-up game, and you turned to me and said, this is already a lot better than the stuff from 1987. (laughs) Before you'd seen any of the games. So, I'm not surprised by your response. Well, yeah, like, I'm under no illusions that I can get anywhere near playing to a professional level. I do think if I'd been born 20 years earlier, I could have been an international player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is frustrating that for all of us, isn't it? Yeah. If we've been born earlier, with maybe with the brain that we have now, collectively, and maybe a, a little more drive to go to the gym or go for a run or whatever, yeah. I feel I, like we're doing all right. So I, I would say, do, do you need that drive to go to the gym? I mean, I'm not denying that they, they were in shape. They're not fantastic specimens like True. So I've done some research onto this. Do you want to know what Wales's World Cup warm-up camp was? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Does it involve at least one Weatherspoons? <laughs> You're not far off. So um, Wales's, Wales's entire warm-up, right, was they were due to fly out on the Monday. Apart from John, Fa- John, not John Favreau. He was too busy, you know, preparing to make swingers. Um <laughs> John Devereux, <laughs> uh, who had to fly out a day early because he was a student at the time, uh, and he actually sat his exams in New Zealand, and he sat his last exam a few days before this game so at the University of Wellington. But the other players, uh, so he flew out on his own a few days early so he could do his exams and that, but the other players in the Welsh squad went for, did one training session on the Friday, they went for a jog <laughs> around the beach on the Saturday, went out and got pissed, then spent the Sunday just hanging out and flew out on the Monday. It, it was it was a holiday they booked and they just happened to be a World Cup on at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so Wales had one training session and a jog. <laughs> you, you compare that to the going to the fridge in Poland in 2011. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I I did that. I did more than that in the week leading up to the game we played, Graf. I trained twice oh. that week. I can honestly say I didn't do more. <laughs> Well, did you get pissed on the on like the, the previous Saturday? No, I was uh, well the week before or like the night before. Either one, uh, possibly the weekend before. I'm I'm going to say that's likely. <laughs> I was one of the sensible ones, in as much as I didn't drink the night before, but that was mostly because I had to drive up that morning anyway. Look, so yeah, <laughs> a, a large part of my training involved a three-hour drive just before kickoff. <laughs> you've done like one third of what the Welsh team did before the 1987 yeah. Rugby World Cup as well, a warm up. We warmed up, so that we're already halfway there. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> a very good start. <laughs> I'm not sure if this Welsh team did warm up. Or if they did, you know, maybe they took the first 20 minutes of being a warm up. Well, Mark Ring was on the bench, and I reckon he's one of those players who doesn't believe in a warm up. 
Yeah. Mark brings 100% of the player who's like, I'll just stay in the dressing room, you go and all warm up. I don't know. He doesn't believe in anything modern, though, doesn't he? He always writes, like, articles saying, yeah. like, oh, yeah, no one's got any skill anymore. Like, John Devereux didn't do a forward pass to himself in this game. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, well I, I'm sure we'll get into that as well, but there's some players who were lauded as um, mercurial talents of the game, and I'm, I'm, I'm doubting it. <laughs> <laughs> so the Mark Ring thing's interesting. So the the one in well, the, the one thing that happens between the previous game against Tonga and this game against Canada for Wales is Glenn Webb is flown home, which having scored a hat trick, which apparently he asked Jiffy after the game what the score was, and Jiffy told him he scored a hat trick, and Glenn Webb then went what? Huh? I had no memory of any of his tries. I mean, I won't believe anything Jiffy tells me either. So, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not big into numbers, so he wouldn't know. Three, <laughs> um, yeah, so Glenn were massively concussed and was just flown home as a precaution, even though there's accounts that maybe he could have recovered in time. And, you know, Wales got obviously went on to the, play the third place playoff, could have recovered by then. Glenn Webb said himself he felt that if he'd been fit to play the following week, he would have kept Yaren Evans out of the team, which I rate that confidence. <laughs> Apparently, Mark Ring cried when Glenn Webb went home because they were very close friends. Oh, um, that's nice. And it's an image I found hard to, yeah, but I find weirdly reassuring the thought of Mark <laughs> Ring crying at his friend leaving New Zealand and leaving him alone. Or just Mark Jeffy. Ring crying. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. Again, I think there's so many times in rugby that scenarios turn up that are clearly straight from a rom com. <laughs> That needs to be written somehow, and I, I think if we're not doing, I mean, I don't, I don't want to even think what it's going to be called. But if the the love relationship between Web and Ring isn't explored more more tenderly, in a lost in translation, but in New Zealand kind of way, then hey, I, what, what are we doing with our lives? I know exactly what it's called. It's put a ring on it. <laughs> Very good. It's very good. I was going to say, just keep Haskell away from the naming of it and we're fine. <laughs> I, oh. we, we, all the single ladies, obviously, as the song, but not the Beyonce one, the one from Sex and the City 2 that Liza Minnelli does. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. The, the of course. really awful Liza Minnelli dancing around in what's possibly the worst film ever made. What is, what is any rugby movie without Liza Minnelli? Well... <laughs> Or any rugby uh, match. Completely agrees. I mean, I will say, if at the next World Cup, the opening ceremony involves Liza Minnelli coming out of a rugby ball, <laughs> straight into the single ladies, <laughs> with Mark Ring and backing vocals, tell me you won't remember that opening ceremony for the rest of your life. That would gain rugby at least two fans. Yeah. Can, any, can anyone here translate the French for me if I start writing the email now? Hang on, I'll just... <laughs> I'll just get on the phone to Eddie Butler for you. Yeah, <laughs> Eddie Butler, he's so into that. I bet Eddie Butler is a Liza Minnelli fan. So that's completely unrelated. The... Yeah, I, mean, so... I hope you're not going to point that out every time that we go on a tangent, because we might be here a while, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the other thing that I want to note from the week leading into the game is I mentioned in the previous episodes, they had a car in the corner of some pitchers in this tournament because they were running a try the tournament competition, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, with the car in question was a Mazda. There's some product placement for the Mazda. And so Mark Ring, being an incredibly cunning business person, 
mm-hmm. uh, decided he wanted that car. So, in order to do so, he designed a move that he called... Where was his call for the move? Was the Mazda. <laughs> right? Uh, they ran it against Tonga, and you may remember this, Will. There was a move that went horribly wrong that was all in Paul Forburn being smashed and dropping the ball. Is this genuine? That was the, that move was called the Mazda, and it was designed by Mark Ring in order to, for him to then be under So he tried to fix himself winning the car. Yeah. So the idea was Paul Forbin makes the makes a break, and then he's on the inside to take the pass when the when he draws the fullback. What a prick! <laughs> I bet I could have told you that before this broke out, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was the, that came, and it really didn't work. And Mark Ring apparently spent a lot of the week <laughs> leading into this game going. Well, I've got more moves. I've got more moves so that I can win a car. <laughs> and then, what, I don't know if that contributed to him being dropped. Um, well, but you can only imagine so. Kind of go against the overcomplicated moves, as you can see from like any of the tries. It basically <laughs> hands down the line. He didn't win a car, but he did win a contract with the Keystone Cops. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's funny. phenomenal that like he, because like, look, we've, had it implicit a few times that players haven't quite put the team first when it comes to not making tackles, not yeah. passing a ball when it's on, you know, going for drop goals just because you want to when the te- your teammate has dropped the ball, that kind of thing. And you're playing in the back row as well. That kind of thing. It's implicit that they're not putting the team first. However, this, I mean, look, so, I was struggling for a dick of the day, but we'll get there. So <laughs> it's funny you should say Keystone Copscraft. Because in the book where they talk about this, Adrian Hadley describes their attempt at that move as being like something from Keystone Cops. Yeah, but... Me and Adrian so... Hadley was always... <laughs> no. well, I was quite impressed by it, if I'm honest. Mm. Adrian Hadley's always one of those players that gets talked about, but never like fantastically over the top as mm. 90% of Welsh players do. Mm. Yeah. I think he's really solid. Yeah, I really yeah. like Adrian Hadley. Yeah, I'm a fan of him. I'm a fan of him. I remember when I mean, George North... To... First broke through Jiffy saying, Well, the highest praise I can give to him is I think he could be the next Adrian Hadley. The last time that Jiffy was bang on. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take a lot to stand out in this world back line, I don't think. But so, do we want to look at the teams before yeah, we look at the so preamble? Should we start, start with I, the Welsh? I think start team. with the Welsh. We've been yeah, talking yeah. about the Welsh team, we might as well go into it. Yeah, yeah. So, Blaine Bowen comes in at mm. inside centre to partner John Devereux, which... John Devereux as well, also discovered, nicknamed the Dalek. Yeah, I've got that written down. Yeah. Because of his hand-off technique. <laughs> yeah, because he carried an egg whisk with him at all times. <laughs> and, of course, famously, when he hands somebody off, they get sucked into his palm and cease to exist thereafter. Yeah, I wonder where that was going. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> nicknamed the Dalek because he was built by one mad scientist uh, <laughs> nicknamed the Dalek because for a long time he had trouble getting upstairs <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got the, just like a tiny little guy inside him driving him around there's <laughs> just a tiny little like tiny rugby guy inside John Devereux driving <laughs> him to his next exam honestly with all of these things that he has with him like it's an incredible resemblance to the Dalek. It's no wonder they nicknamed yeah. him that. Uh, there was a lot of mention of how injured Bowen and Devro would be. Mm. Yeah. 
like at every possible opportunity, they mentioned some sort of injury they had. I mean, Devereaux did have a Time Lord hunting him down for 900 years. <laughs> well, like, it's fair enough. And <laughs> there, I did think there was a few times on, on the ref mic you could just hear exterminate, because that's the only <laughs> word he says. Well, you can hear quite a lot on the ref mic, because seemingly there was very little atmosphere. Yeah. Well, Except for not the, the ref. <laughs> not never the ref. Jiffy's a great one, but again, we'll come on to that once we go to the game. But mm. it's, it's a great one from Jiffy. What I mentioned as well, Bledon Bowen was a member of the police force. So you had the police and the Dalek together. <laughs> well, Sutton was uh, in the police as well, because they kept mentioning that every time he ran. Mm. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and the, he, the he was quite thing. quick for a second row. I'll give mm. that to Steve Sutton. He was quite yeah, quick. Yeah, he was. And obviously Mark Ring was part of the Keystone Cops. So that's three piece <laughs> for the end. <laughs> Plus, I don't know if you noticed, when when Paul Moriarty first went on injured, the guy who came to treat him was dressed fully like a policeman, but looked like Blakey from On The Buses. I don't know. <laughs> it was surreal. I, I was watching it. See, I might, I've no longer over COVID, and I thought, what, I don't want a lasting effects this has had, because <laughs> I'm having very strange dreams watching this game. It's how all of these games fail. It's how they <laughs> all fail. Uh, Everything this- feels like a lie. <laughs> yeah, none of, none of it's real. Yeah, this whole World Cup was made up. It's fine. You have in John Devereaux and Alan Phillips, who Alan Phillips returns to the team for the first time in five years. Yes, first in five years. Of course, um, you're you're not you're not saying his name correctly. His real name is Team Manager Alan Phillips. So, and I refuse to hear him as anything otherwise. Alan Phillips and John Devereaux, both future Wales team managers, oh. um, in the same team, brought back into the same team together. But we haven't mentioned the big mistake that happens from this Welsh team selection which is that they give Jonathan Davis the captaincy. My heart sank when they said that on the punditry. Like, <laughs> they're giving Jiffy the what? I, I, the one thing that's always said of Jiffy is how he was an individual talent and a yes. bit of a maverick. So we'll give him the armband. <laughs> that's it. Because, like, and it becomes very, very clear in this game to kind of kind of spoil it, like... So Jiffy's kind of knowledge of the game is generally quite poor, I think. Like, there's with the kind of, like, game management and everything, like, with that aspect of it, generally he's not that good a 10. But when you give him a bit of space, he is a fantastic talent. And, like, mm. he is brilliant at anything that just involves getting the ball and just sprinting, right? Yeah. Anything else? Mm, questionable. <laughs> but lightning fast with ball in hand. Yeah, great captain. A, a brilliant step. Brilliant, Ooh, brilliant size. Oh god, his feet were amazing. Like, and it was good to like see the jiffy that people love because in the previous two games, I think Robbie, it's probably safe to say that we've not really seen that. That like mm. we've seen Jiffy try and manage games and just really, really struggle. So it was great to see that side of Jiffy in this game and like understand the hype a little bit more. He is extremely. If he came through now, he would have a similar career path to someone like Matt Provero or Max Malins, Matthew Morgan. Fl- but yeah, fly halves at age group level, and then they move to the wing in professional rugby mm. um, because they yeah. just don't have the kind of general temperament and game management. Even though they are really quick, and if you get the ball into the hands, they can do something at a lower yeah. level. Once you get up to a standard at which there are defenders, which that wasn't for Canada, <laughs> then it becomes a problem. And I think if he came through now, he would have been moved to the wing quite early on because mm. there are I think five times during this game where he makes a break and the pass he throws afterwards is atrocious yeah yeah which kind but of sums him up perfectly. he's such a winger he's such a winger 
my uh, my notes say Jiffy's running is great, his stepping's amazing, his kicking is mixed, and his passing is fucking shocking. Pretty much sums it up. So can we do the pre-match, right? They are so we have our friend Earl is a pundit on this Mm. game, and they ask him about Jiffy being the captaincy, getting the captaincy, and he says yes, he'll be okay because he's an extravert. Which, you know, I think is, I think is fair. I yeah, think that's, yeah. that's true of Jiffy. That is very true. He says it twice. Mm. He's yeah. an extrovert. I, I've always thought that RuPaul would make a fantastic rugby captain. <laughs> <laughs> I think the next England captain should be Ryland. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's very... already sent for Northampton Saints, and we all seen those pictures. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> next step on his, his career for him. The Courtney Laws pathway. <laughs> Dylan Hartley, Courtney Laws, they just love them. They just love <laughs> just, just just tall men from Northampton. Earl also adds that uh, Jiffy will be delighted with being given the captaincy. So, well, yeah, he loves himself. Of course he's delighted with being given the captaincy. Um, yeah. they, he also refers to saying that the Welsh think of Jiffy as the greatest thing since sliced bread when it comes to rugby. <laughs> so... so, <laughs> so so what's the... So prior to Jiffy... Prior to Jiffy. Prior, the in the pre-Jiffy era, mm. right? And I want us all to cast our minds, you know, think back to, let's say, the 1970s, right? Because mm. let's let's face it, in Welsh rugby, there wasn't much in the 1970s that was better than Jiffy, a guy who could just step and go, except right? For, was... Except for... So I don't know if... It, I just want to explain this concept properly, right? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. you know like a loaf of... When you get like a loaf of bread, like a, like a baker's hang loaf, on, hang like on, plastic loaf, think, crust on, on the outside. Uh, like a, a I'm just going right? to note this down. Loaf of bread, right? Loaf of bread. Okay. So if you get a knife, right. Um, knife. This is pretty cool. So if you get a knife, right, you can okay. cut I've got bread. one now. I've got one now. Yep. Get a knife and just mm-hmm. put it on the bread and just okay. press okay. into it and just cut it quite finely into sli- what we call... Holy sli- shit! What what I like to think because he does say in rugby terms, mm. as if before that there was just like Phil Bennett and Barry John were playing, and everyone was like, "Well, that's fucking great, but what am I going to have on my sausage and chips?" <laughs> like with just a whole loaf of bread in the middle of the table, and some very disappointed committee men just staring. <laughs> that was what JPR Williams ate every night. It was just, and yeah. just like that's how good he would have been if it wasn't just a loaf. Because look, when you've got a loaf there. And it's it's all in one thing. You've got to eat the whole thing. It's the law. You can't just eat a bit of it and come back to it later. You've got to eat the whole damn thing. But with what you, the thing you've just explained to me, Robbie, that mm. if you and I've just tried it now because I usually have bread with me when I record podcasts and a knife as well. Mm. So I've just sliced it, and uh, I've just I, so I have what do you call it a, a slice of bread. Yes. Okay. Okay. So. I, I just, I've just eaten a little bit, and I suddenly Good feel loads noises. better at rugby. Yeah, it's a, it it does explain the amateur era and where all the money went when they weren't paying players because it had to go on buying whole loaves of bread for every post match meal because they couldn't slice the bread up. So until until just before Jiffy came along, it's really quite exciting. Um, and I imagine those players were having sandwiches, so it would need to be a loaf of bread, a handful of chips, and then another loaf of bread on top. So essentially, every player's getting two loaves of bread. <laughs> It's immense. <laughs> you couldn't do that if you didn't slice the fucker. <laughs> it's just oh, it's superb innovation. It's a game changer. You know what? I, I I'd like us to have a vote on whether sliced bread is a good thing that should stay. Because I vote yes. I think it's really good. 
I vote we, um, yes. I just want to hear Teddy Butler there. I, I think the jury's still out. I don't think we've had enough time to decide yet. <laughs> I think we need we need more time. All right, Stephen Jones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I just say while we're talking about what commentator said about Jiffy mm. as well? Uh, the commentator also said the man they called the Nithudini. Right. <laughs> I, I did say I was one at the time, but in the preceding 35 years, I've never heard anyone call him that. So <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it, that of the two nicknames he was given, he's really tried to make Jiffy the one that sticks. <laughs> and yet at this point, it's like, hold on a second. They called him the Nithudini. And he's done a great job of like shaking that off. Credit where it's due. Oh, the Houdini job. Yeah. Well, I, I'm guessing he probably had to drop it quite quickly because a year after he left Neath. And he's not <laughs> <from> Neath. <laughs> yeah. So, the St. Helens Houdini actually has a better <laughs> ring to it. The Witness Houdini, less so. So, yeah, I, I, no one's ever. Boys, Houdini. I, I, I've never heard him compared to Houdini. I don't really understand how the comparison works. And it it's... feels like the kind of thing that comes up at the start of an article by Mark Orders on Wales Online. Yes. <laughs> well, so, like, the in article... 1920, Harry Houdini released a film fighting an automaton, <laughs> also known as Houdini. It's Jonathan Davis. Jonathan Davis. <laughs> and the article is actually about, like... <laughs> Like the, what I the, the top it'll be top ten something. <laughs> it's it's like what um and I've gone completely blank on his name. I was gonna pull out a rand, a great random player out of the hat. Chris Chinza. No, I was gonna I was gonna say Callum the hooker who did a, Scott it's like what Scott Otten's doing since he's retired. And <laughs> but it starts on like a history of Harry Houdini. Yeah, this is the way that they all go now. It started with uh, the Irish one who was racist. Oh, yeah. Uh, Francis? Is it? Yeah, yeah, Neil Francis. Francis. Neil Francis' articles would always start with, so in 1972, I was driving a larder through Dublin. <laughs> and you're like, what? and then it's got absolutely no connection to anything else in the article. <laughs> and I'm like, what the, what, what's this opening thing? You know, like when you watch a film, like especially mm. horror films, like I do a horror podcast as well. Mm. Horror films are great for it when they have that cold open. And yeah, like yeah, someone yeah. will get murdered, and then at no other point in the film has I got any fucking reference to anything that happens in the next hour and a half of what you've just watched. It's just set in the scene. There's going to be some yeah. more murders. The opening that they wrote was a bit slow to get started. So what I've done is I've just tagged something else on that's quite interesting. It's like every horror film, sort of pre maybe mid nineties, very often incredibly slow for the first half hour. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of horror films, quick openings are the sliced bread of horror. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, though, that like when that early death happens and is never brought up again, it should really lead to the murderer getting arrested at the end and that being the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, like um, like the end of um, Monty <laughs> Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> <laughs> That is the way it should go. It should just be an air of realism. It's what horror lacks for me. It's why I can't get into it. That'd be amazing. Just, just as getting to the big climax, someone just comes in and whacks a pair of handcuffs on Freddy Krueger. <laughs> is that as done with the Wales team? Yeah, should we look at the Canada <laughs> team? Yeah. yeah, largely the same, strongest team they could have put out. The, you know, Ian Stewart's Hounds the Goodies. The stand-up stay in. They, move, they bring in Tom Wood, normally a winger. And you can tell into the centre. 
who's recalled. Mm-hmm. Um, big fan of the fact that his Wikipedia page is incredibly thin on details. Like most of them at least list that they played in the World Cup. His doesn't. It's just like, he played for Canada. So yeah, they can bring Steve Gray in on the wing, which was, he was apparently like a big star, exciting player. And how, he's called Steve Gray. <laughs> His name is Steve Imagine getting Gray. like excited by somebody with that name, like Lewis Reese Zamet. Really, like fueled mm. hype by being called Lewis Reese Zamet and being fast. But if his name was Keith Hammett <laughs> Markson, yes, <laughs> and Hammett uh, because of the way I pronounced it has three A's in it. <laughs> You really hammed it up. It's, it's, oh. it's oh. very difficult to get excited by him. But thankfully, he's not called Keith Hammett. He's called Lewis Reese Hammett, so it's fine. I also just realised that's why I landed on the name Hammett, because it rhymes. Anyway. <laughs> it rhymes with Hammett, yeah. Is this... <laughs> is, that, is that only just... <laughs> Even though you said the two directly after each other. Yes. <laughs> yes, it just sunk in. Is it like that thing, though, with superheroes? where the other personality is so mundane sounding. Like, let's be honest, if I went, this is my friend Bruce Wayne, you wouldn't think, oh, that's exciting. No, when he goes, like, yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. Though, they, they, I mean, Bruce Wayne is a billionaire and a oh, well-known yeah. public figure. But um, would you want to hang out with journalist Clark Kent? Oh, no. Well, I mean, I mean. No, here's the other thing is, I probably would, because I'm a fundamentally <laughs> incredibly boring person. And it's something I've, I've really just lent into and recognise and accept that I am a phenomenally dull person. But I don't have a superhero author ego. <laughs> I just every I now and again... that we know go, of. Oh, his ruffle was a bit dumb, isn't he? And people I, go... I'm on oh, squid rugby. Don't you tell I, me you haven't grown older. You. <laughs> 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 the nah. thing is, there's, there's one thing that really annoys me about Batman, because you're seeing this guy, like, fighting crime around the city and so on. You're like, That's the thing that annoys you about going Batman. going around like, no, <laughs> no, nah, nah, I love that bit. I love that bit. I love the fighting crime. I hate crime, except I love crime as well. But I love the, the thrill of it. And then eventually, you, you then just get onto this really boring, unrelated billionaire guy, Bruce Ray- Bruce Rain, Bruce Wayne, whatever he's called. And he's just there about, cutting about his mansion, just like, oh, look at me, I'm so rich. It's just like, who cares? Let's go back to this other character, the guy, uh, the Bat guy. Uh, there's always uh, trouble when he throws a party. You think, yeah. just, just stop having parties. Like, yeah, you're yeah. a bit more low-key about it. It'll, everything will calm down if you stop throwing these parties for other millionaires. It's really clever, will... Bruce. <laughs> just wait for someone else to invite you, Bruce. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, if it's a fancy dress one, you've got a great, great <laughs> investment there. Save on money. I'm not buying another suit. <laughs> I've done my, my last 20 billion. <laughs> uh, we are, of course, talking about Bruce Breen, who was playing on the flank for Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's canonically Batman. And, of course, he is joined in the back row by Deadpool himself. So, <laughs> or the bear from the Revenant, Glenn Ennis. Glenn Ennis. No, he was the stunned double for Colossus, I believe, in Oh, Colossus. My who apologies. was, of course, previously played in the X-Men movies by Daniel Cudmore, the brother of former Canada captain, Jamie. Well, he was also a stunt double for for Jason Voorhees in mm-hmm. Freddy vs. Jason. 
So I reckon this is going to be the first time that Freddy Krueger's ever got two mentions on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I think that, I think that's uh, that's possible. Yes. Um, I, I kind of got, I kind of fell down um, a bit of a rabbit hole with Hennis because I, I think mm. it's amazing. I love it. It's my favorite thing. I, I, like, he's not obviously he's not the first mm. person to to like he stood in for the Bay, and then Martin Bayfield was Agrid, mm. and I think yeah. Andrew Sheridan was a stunt double for the Gruffalo. If I'm not used to that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know he's also wrote films? Yeah. No? So this, yeah, he wrote short film, and it, yeah, I I did look he, into this. He's wrote a full feature horror film called No Malone, which is Zoe and Eric's <laughs> the magical protection of a bewitched gnome, and quickly realizes it isn't your garden gnome variety. The gnome is played by Vern Troyer. This guy's amazing. I feel like, Graham, I don't want to reinvite myself on your podcast, but this feels like ground we have to cover for it. I was already adding him on Twitter to see if I could drop him a DM to see if he's interested. But yeah. I, I want him on. I want, I want, I need, I need him on. I will, I will have you know that we have both, me and Robbie, both followed Glenn Ernest on Twitter in the oh, hope of one no, day I <laughs> found an email address for him and I just need to get around to actually trying to contact him. I'll tell him he's got two offers of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> if he's into like niche Welsh podcasts, then he's he's, he's going to end up on attacking Scrum. <laughs> so you did say Grav, by the way. There, you said there a minute ago that that was your favourite thing. I'd like you to put it up against sliced bread and tell me: Do you seriously <laughs> prefer the fact Glenn Ellis has written films? I mean, he doesn't go as well with butter. I'll give you that, but. I say as well, I went on a route because I then, like, not being able to just let things lie, there's an obvious overlap that I needed to um, investigate. Okay. And thus, people who've appeared in films with him and with Ray Gravel, who appears before kickoff. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we haven't mentioned the other grab. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 found, I found three people who've appeared in films with both of them. Wow. So, uh, please. Ewan Griffiths appeared in Very (laughs) Annie Mary with Ray Gravel and then with Glenn in Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Irons appeared in Damaged with Ray Gravel and Jestic League with Glenn the Bay. David Thewlis wins because he was also in Damaged and Justice League. But he was also in Harry Potter with Martin Bayfield, so he's going oh. collecting films with rugby players in. That's three, three international rugby players. He's three international rugby. rugby players that he's appeared in films with, and different films. That are there any more actors in in f- film? There's quite a few. Question I meant. Rugby players who have done. Are there any more? Like that? Why hasn't rugby had a why hasn't rugby had a Vinnie Jones yet? Mm. Well, like, probably because no one cares about rugby. The yeah, Hustle probably. on Netflix, which is great with uh, Adam Sandler, and basically everyone other than Adam Sandler and Queen Latifah are professional basketballers in that film. Like they've got even roles that don't need to be played by professional basketballers are played by professional basketballers. It's just basically an entire film of professional basketballers, and they're all pretty good. Which makes me think that you can probably make a pretty good film with the Worcester Warriors squad. 
yeah, when you say they're I pretty think... good, are they pretty good at basketball or acting? And at both, actually. Both. <laughs> There's some like actual good acting from basketballers. Okay, that's good. I think as well, though, because basketball players are massively marketable and very cool, but no one wants to watch Space Mall. <laughs> we don't know that. <laughs> no one's watching it now. Not... There was before the nineties. There was no no basketball scene in the UK. That was why the ninety seven World Cup people watched it. You know, because there was no basketball. Basketball didn't <laughs> exist until nineteen ninety one. That's a little known fact. Um, <laughs> we just rugby needs this on Michael Jordan. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, but also that's a genuine point. It does. Rugby needs oh, yeah. a you know. Antoine Dupont should be four times as famous as he is. Mm. And it's kind of a failure of rugby that he's not known outside France as a household name, uh, where apparently he, you know, he is a proper household, most famous player they've produced in a very long time in France. This is a whole other, you know, there's a whole other topic of discussion. And I don't know whether it's time to go down that right now. Well, John Alon was obviously the closest we've ever got. Mm. It didn't work out. <laughs> no, I mean Johnny Wilkinson's the only other one that's kind of in the conversation as a yeah. I think Global broke markets like America, which is another thing that Grav has the conversation of, which is the conversation that's been mm, going yes. on in pubs and clubs throughout Britain and Ireland for like ever. Saying, well, as soon as Americans start to take it seriously, we'll all be in trouble and we won't be able to compete. And they've got real athletes and money. And like, let's be honest, they don't really give a shit. Like no. Evans, LMR, and a president who's related to the Carnies. Like Rob, Rob and Dave, or as Tommy Bow calls them, two siblings. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's one of these, like, we're never going to hit that point of rugby being no. big enough in America that they don't, you know. They it'll, might... it'll get bigger than it is now, Yeah, but it's not going to be like, it's not going to break America. Or, no. No, what it would take is one of the major four American sports going under in a way, yeah. it almost happened with the NFL when they were seeing the concussion, right? It takes something at that level completely bombing a sport out in order yeah. for kind of the space in the market to, to create, be created. Yeah. Because the American sporting kind of landmark, no, um, market is Landed. so enormous and so saturated that, yes. you know, MLR gets each ground getting, you know, maybe a thousand or so, a few thousand fans each week and that is a big success all considered really sure like there are like 17 professional leagues you know across how many other different sports yeah in america it's just it's such a ridiculously saturated market yeah. it's so difficult it's very to... difficult to follow as a as an american fan isn't mm. it and um, that's why um, these conversations have been happening for 40 years now yes yeah exactly so to carry on with the stuff Grav was saying mm. uh, before the match, Ray Gravel, we mean. So he has asked quite quite a little, quite a few things. So the, the I mean, the question they lead on is: so English isn't your first language, is it? <laughs> Which is pre-match prep as us to get an insight into this Welsh team because he was yeah. the assistant coach at the time. Well, in fact, it's interesting because they actually they start by talking to Brian Veach, the Canada coach, mm. who, who comes out and says, like, oh, everything's looking perfect. We're looking fine. I fancy our chances today. I think we're going to win. We'll be OK. The weather conditions are in our favour. And then they go back to the pundits box. No, my, no, no, no. My favourite thing from that Brian Veach interview, and we'll get on to him in a minute because or Dennis Veach, right? Because he is a Dennis, fascinating guy. Um, he is. Yeah. But <laughs> so he's initially really confident in our the first four answers he gives of how we're going to cause an upset and so on. And then they say to him, so how are you going to beat Wales today? And he says, well, with enormous difficulty. 
But what I, like, first thing I noticed, like Snazzy Raiders Blazer, I didn't yeah. know this obvious thing at this point about Denny Reach. I learned yeah. that later on. But he says it'd be a shame if he won the game and didn't score enough tries. And like, right? I, he's really big. And then he says, oh, we're going to beat them up front because that's where all our strength is. And then all the set pieces are really shit. <laughs> like, like, it's like bridesmaids jumping for bouquets at the wedding at the line. Okay? <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just a mess. I don't. Like, well, if this was your strengths, what was your weaknesses? That's it. <laughs> he genuinely he says, says, we'll have them at the line out. He's there saying, oh, yeah, it's our strength, right? And we'll we'll get onto it, right? But he is literally the guy who made up a tactic where they had two extra people in the scrum so they can no, compete. No, he isn't. That came from um, another club in British Columbia. He copied it. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So, anyway, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that later. No, no, but... no. no. Should, we do, should we do Danny Vincent now? Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I want to keep talking about the um, the stuff pre-match because he says all of that shit about like, oh, yeah, we're going to be amazing. We're going to win. It's looking like it's in our favour. Then they go back to the pundits who both talk up Canada loads. And then they throw over and they're saying Canada looking great, play a great style of rugby. They've played well in the previous couple of games, whatever. And then they throw over to Hugh Llewellyn Davis, who I had no idea was once like a rugby pundit rather than just a guy with a thick Welsh accent on the radio <laughs> that they threw over to him who was fucking fuming that they weren't talking about Wales and just goes like well no I think Wales are going to absolutely batter them what are you on about you're all on crack mate like come on <laughs> Wales are going to win and like they ask him a question about Canada and he just goes no 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 no. Wales are really good and then they obviously throw to Ray Gravel and he carries on talking at Wales and kind of yeah so the 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 the, the, uh, the other pundits right yeah. Uh, so Earl, who we talked about a lot, and then another guy who seemingly they throw to him. I think it's the BFG. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this bizarre-looking man who is enormous, packed into like a bright orange, yellow, like burn yellow suit, sitting there giving really short rhythmical. Ant- he looks a bit like Mark Rylands with all the CGI on him. Yeah, giving these like bizarre rhythmical answers, and about three times he cuts himself off short. And the the pund of a pundit or the presenter that's speaking next then kind of laughs, kind of just not expecting the sentence to end so suddenly. Yes, I do enjoy that. I do enjoy that where he, it's like he's asked like, "Oh yeah, what do you think of Canada's chances in this game?" And she goes, "Yeah, they're all right." <laughs> they throw back just the the, the combination of. Earl, the BFG, and a Welsh is just a great punditry box, and ITV should replicate it. Yeah. Who was nearly my dick of the day? Because his argument for how we know Tonga are resilient is because he's watched Fiji. (laughs) They're all the same, and they all those Pacific Island teams, they're all they're different, they're basically the same. (laughs) That's the only thing you can come up with. We know they're resilient. We watched Fiji play last week. Like So yeah, he was he was very nearly my dick of the day. So he had a lucky escape. And the other thing Grav says that I enjoy, the other Grav, Grav, Ray Gravel <laughs> says that I really enjoyed was, I'm glad the Canadians haven't got to grips with the basics of the game. So yeah, there's a few things, right? So one of them is we will win, obviously. Talking about Wales, just after everyone else has talked them talked up Canada, and that they yeah they basically ask for a history lesson off Grav about Wales and whatever. He also talks um, about how like North Wales is so involved in rugby, which is a real shame to then look at where we are now mm, with yeah basically frozen out. No, it's true. Yeah. So yeah. They ask Grav, okay, how are Wales going to beat Canada? Mm. And he says by scoring more points than them, obviously. 
And they go, Which oh, is good. Every it's... comment section, every video I post gets that oh, in the comment yeah. section. <laughs> yeah. So how did France beat Ireland by scoring more points, dickhead? Thanks, Ken Rehill. <laughs> they also describe Wales's play as very unusual because they have a wing player in the middle. Which, you know, sign of things to come. Tony, the guy who's interviewing him, who says, oh, right, you're getting a hard time with a Welsh flag behind you, not realising it's a Canadian no, flag, I think that's a then joke. tries to play it I off as a joke. He thinks that's a joke. I think he's... I, I think he tries to catch Grav out, but I'm not sure what he's expecting, especially <laughs> given that he's just asked Grav for a lesson on everything he knows about Wales. <laughs> I, I, Ray Gravel is probably the Welshest person I can think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's him yeah. and Ken Owens, isn't it? Him, Ken Owens, and Owen Glendool. Like, that's the <laughs> yeah. The Holy Trinity. And he tried to catch him out, like, with the maple leaf. But I, I don't think Grav was going to fall for it. And it, even if he did, what did he, did he expect he was going like, to wrap himself in it? And <laughs> <laughs> what, what's he expecting? Like, it's a gotcha moment coming. But I don't it's... know what the end could possibly be. <laughs> it's, like, immediately followed by the most bizarre bit of banter which makes me just think maybe that's what humor in New Zealand was in 1987. It was really odd gotchas where um, Hugh Llewellyn Davis says of Ray Gravel, he does the same job as Graham Fawn does, except he's much better than Graham Fawn. <laughs> and then one of the commentators says, I think I agree. And then everyone's like, yeah, I think so-and-so would agree as well. And it's it, but it's delivered in such a way that it doesn't sound like banter, but a genuine insult. It's genuinely hate each other. <laughs> yeah, they just can't stand Graham Vaughan. I mean, I am old enough to remember that in the late eighties, early nineties, Jeremy Beadle was quite a big thing, mm. and that was pretty much what humour was on telly then. It was gotchas with a, a dark undertone. <laughs> what, what, we, like... want, we want to catch him up, but we really want him to have a break on first. I mean, <laughs> if. If they were joking, it went straight over Grav's head and he just goes, that's not the Welsh flag, that's the Canadian. Literally all they have in common is the colour red. You fucking moron. Although, to be fair, that according to the commentary team, that did catch Wales out against Tonga because yeah. they played in green and apparently that, that completely flummoxed so, the Welsh they, team. They like, wanted some... Grav, the question, is it hard playing against a team in your traditional colours? <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Oh, please, are we gonna just don't pass to the ones with the Canadian accent? We should be honest. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, and then to make it worse, the guy at the fullbacks got the same name as the guy who used to play fullback for uh, Wales. These boys are confused enough. They bring on a boy <laughs> from Carmarthenshire off the bench. He's <laughs> well, he was an underhand tactics by Canada, and I think someone should have picked up on it sooner. To be honest, it's not very rugby <laughs> values, is it? That's Brilliant. why Italy beat us this year. It's all Varney. It's all down to Varney. <laughs> Who wasn't playing? It's all Varney. He was he was sat on the sideline. He was confusing. He's confusing. Yeah. So Hans de Goody, the Canada captain, had spent two years at Cardiff, right? Do you think he could have learned, yeah, learned the Cardiff accent? As soon as he sounds like Kermit the Frog at the best of times, yeah. we could have had Welsh Kermit captain in Canada. That is um, the greatest piece of alliteration I've ever heard. <laughs> it's the best sentence I've ever said. Kamarthen Shakermit, Captain's Canada. <laughs> Cardiff, Cardiff Kermit. Captain Cardiff Kermit. <laughs> Stuff right to yourself. After they ask a bit more about uh, about Canada to Ray Gravel, mm. he describes them as, as the following. They will tackle, 
They're very committed. I'm glad they haven't got to grips with the very basics of the game yet, though. Yep. They will tackle. They are committed. Right, We look, we're going to talk about the game in a little bit. They will tackle. <laughs> they are committed, he said. I'm, they will tackle. They are committed. They haven't got used to the basics of the game. James Askell bit a whole career off it. I don't know why you're shocked by this. <laughs> look, <laughs> I watched the first minute of the game and went, oh my God. He, I can't believe he went for the most basic prediction for the game and he was wrong. They did not tackle. They were not committed. But in fairness, they definitely didn't come to grips with the basics of the game. So I'll give him that. I don't think anyone was at this stage, though. I think they were just getting to grips with the fact there's a ball. Like, that's the first hurdle you want to overcome. The Welsh players are still trying to sober up from the, from the world of warm-up, to be fair. So, Robbie, were you wanting to talk about Beachy Boy? Yes. So, should we talk about Dennis Beach, who was the Canada coach for the, or the Canada team manager, rather, mm. who has the most extraordinary life story? Yeah. I, I liked him from what I saw of him, which is very little, but yes. Do continue. Yeah. So, uh, he actually died a few years ago. Um, oh, did he? So, yeah, which is tragic. But, yeah, he was apparently actually prominent in Canadian football and soccer as well. He was apparently very good at, uh, involved in, but he was primarily, rugby was his kind of biggest sport. And yeah, the thing, as you mentioned, Grav, that we didn't initially notice until they cut to him around half time is that he's only got one arm. Yeah. I, yeah. And he allegedly played international rugby with one arm, which yeah, is yeah. incredible. So he lost his right arm at age six. He in had a real yard. That's yeah. insane. To to then go on and play rugby at the highest level. I don't care oh. when it was. Like to do that with one arm is insane. I can tell you what's more insane than that. First of all, letting a six year old play in a rail yard. That's the <laughs> first thing that's fucking insane. The second thing is insane is as Robbie said, he was a Canadian like American football, Canadian football player. Mm. With one arm, he played receiver. Now <laughs> I googled this to double check it because I thought this is someone on a wind up again, like the old fucking bear thing. This yeah. is genuinely true as well. He was a wide receiver with one arm. Yeah. Now, of of all the positions he could have played, I would have said that's probably the least likely. Yeah. The guy's incredible. He was also an incredibly keen skier. <laughs> was he skiing with one arm? Uh, and he would also keen swimmer. Which I, you know, I've seen people swim with one arm, but it's still incredibly impressive. Of course, um, I think he's just the most. Can you imagine what he could have done with more limbs? That's it. One of the, that, like, he sounds like one of the most genuinely athletic and talented sports people of several generations that and, Canada would have seen. And humanitarian, because yeah. when they toured Japan, he yeah. became a bit of a hero for people who had lost limbs during the war. Mm. Mm. And some people who were contemplating their own life because of the limbs that they lost, that he then travelled around Japan telling his story and showing what he did to give them hope and realise that there's more life after that's happened. The guy's incredible. Yeah, I love him. I don't want to bring it down Like He's clearly not much of a rugby coach, but (laughs) as far as everything else goes, I will say the most incredible thing that he did is that um, he bluffed his way from getting Hansen and Einsen missed up 
mixed up and just took them both on tour and pretended like he knew what he was doing. Because that's clearly he wrote the wrong one down and was just too proud to admit it. But other than that, an incredible man. Warren, incredible. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I mean, he, so he passed away from Alzheimer's in 2011. Oh, um, man. At age 80. So he had a, he got a pretty good run in, as you say, and then was inducted into the British Columbia Hall of Fame, which. That's very nice. Yeah. You can't, you can't begrudge him that at all. And yeah, just universally beloved by everyone that, that met him. Uh, his daughter referred to him as the ultimate parent. And the best father oh. she ever could have hoped for. Yeah, just absolutely phenomenal. That's very nice. That's very nice. Uh, yeah, I'd say I, I grew very fond of Brian Veach. I've got him Brian again. Dennis Veach throughout <laughs> the game. So, yes. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So do we now move on to the, the immediate pre-match being the anthems? <laughs> right, okay, we're on the anthems. Cool, we'll make it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're only an hour we're... in, that's fine. I've not seen the anthems before this game from 1987. Hmm. Were they all like this? Yeah, they were, <laughs> yeah, all... Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were all probably worse than this. <laughs> but they were all in huddles. <laughs> yeah, except Canada lined up which was groundbreaking, seemingly in rugby at the time, because Wales were in a huddle, and I thought, well, that's yeah. a bit respectful that they're all in a fucking huddle while the anthem's going on. And then they just stayed there. <laughs> so what, uh, what's interesting about the Canadian anthem is obviously the camera starts at one end of the line and goes through to the other. It starts with the captain, and suddenly you can hear Kermit the Frog singing over the top of it, singing <laughs> over Canada, and then it moves further away and you stop hearing it. But as it gets to the end of the line, like Canada are singing very nicely, but there is one consistent voice that you can hear all the way through, really harmonising. And I realised then that's the cameraman. Oh! <laughs> that makes sense! Well, I mean, it doesn't, but it does. Yeah! <laughs> they yeah I the beautifully pitched voice that seems to be going right away along. I didn't for one second consider that, that it was him. Yeah. Yeah, and the the Welsh sing the anthem brilliantly as well. I, I found that very enjoyable. And as soon as they finish singing the anthem, you can hear a voice in the Welsh huddle, like literally as the anthem is finishing, the music's still going on. Somebody's saying, good singing, boys. Let's fucking do it. Come on. <laughs> that, that is Jiffy earning the captain's armband. Yeah. Good okay. singing, boys. In all my years involved in Welsh rugby, we all know that the singing is the important bit. Yes, of course. Of course. It's, it's why people are most angry now about the stadium, because people don't sing enough. Mm. 
Yeah, regularly, but I, I go to my local team, and everyone complains that it's not like it used to be because people don't sing anymore. And like, I love Shiran Lillicrap, right? But Bonnie Tyler's robbed with the captaincy. <laughs> well, if anything, I, I think Bonnie could have been vice captain to Liza Minnelli and give everyone what they wanted. Like, <laughs> we also have right interesting points. So the game's taking place in in Rugby Park in Invercargill, which John Devereux describes one of the best tracks he ever played on in terms of the actual pitch itself, even though the ground itself is nothing. But, right, the commentators also mentioned the referee today, Dave Bishop. Yes. Not to be confused with that Dave Bishop or the other Dave Bishop. No. Uh, this, the or the other Dave one Bishop. or the other one or any of the others, yeah. Yep. Here's a local from Invercargill, and the commentators suggest that there are fans who have come out in order to support <laughs> the referee. Which is very is... quickly refuted. Yeah. <laughs> well, the... Um... The commentator, I think, has also gone through his expense claims because he seems to know exactly how far he's travelled <laughs> whilst whilst referee in other games. I yeah, guess... so he talks about exactly how far he travelled the previous year. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, you know, oh, he's had a, a busy World Cup so far because he's had the travel between pool games. This was like, so two years ago, according to his uh, his receipt for petrol, he's... <laughs> It was really bizarre just how in-depth he went is that how far the man's travelled to referee rugby. I mean, so I did a small bit of research into Dave Bishop. Okay. Uh, just because I wanted to know if he did have like a loyal fan base or anything. And you talk about him travelling a long way, right? The year before this, in 1986, he went to Romania to referee Romania against Ireland. And because Romania, we've talked about in the past, was in this like horrible political state, Mm. Um, I mentioned, you know, they wouldn't let French players in because they thought they might be spies. So he had sent with him by the Romanian Rugby Union a bodyguard minder in case someone attacked him. And apparently every street corner had soldiers with Kalashnikovs. Wow. So he, I don't know if there's another reference. Like I, when I was in Japan, I walked past Wayne Barnes in a jumper in Tokyo with, an, I think, another referee. I think I was like, oh, that was, that was like the officiating team. They just walked by, walked around the corner didn't have a bodyguard with them then. World Rugby's gone downhill. We need to respect the referees more. We really um, should, yeah. Either that or Dave Bishop like hired this himself and pretended it was World Rugby's doing and just has a really high opinion of himself. <laughs> or, in fact, no, that's not a high opinion of himself. That's just valuing his own safety. He also I take that back. Of the, this is of the 1991 quarterfinal between England and France that he refereed. Okay. Uh, he said it was the toughest game he ever refereed. I really had to work my butt off to keep all 30 players on the paddock which I don't think is a referee's job. <laughs> I mean, it is if you work for Fox Sports in Australia. They believe that that's a referee's job. That's true. That's true. Should we move on to the actual game? Yeah, we can do. We, we did might it. We did it. Well. We're about an hour in. Cool. Okay. So, I mean, I'm just going to kind of skim through. We begin, there's a bunch of bullshit. Then Gareth Rees kicks a goal to put yeah, Canada yeah. ahead. That's spot there's, on. There's a lot of kicking. Mm. there's a shitload of kicking going on or you can rephrase that a load of shit kicking going on well both yeah I mean there's there's one part where they absolutely load Gareth Reese's kick and it's literally just he chips over the top and he goes about 15 yards and (laughs) still he's within he's sort of within the 10 yards of Wales's half so he he hasn't really done it it's not a great tactical kick it's not for terrible I don't really know what he's done but the commentators fucking loved it they thought it was great. So we discussed Talk this before. About... The commentators seem to think that in order for it to be a good kick, it has to go into touch. 
that that is mm. always the objective of kicking is just to get into touch and nothing else. Which you know what? If you're Jiffy, then he's the best kicker in the world. Um, if that's if that's correct. He misses touch off two penalties at least. Oh, that is true. But and, and he slices two kicks. That's what I'm saying. He yeah. slices his kicks directly into touch, exactly where he is, uh, yeah, and makes twice. no ground on them. <laughs> twice. Yeah. There's one after the other. There's, there's two kicks in a row. Yeah. Right off the side of his boot and in detention. Yeah. And I have written it just five minutes in. I just have in my notes like Jiffy is having an absolute mare. I'm aware I've jumped very far ahead by saying five minutes in, but the first I... Wales try. Yian Evans scoring? I mean, they say this is a good try. It's not. This isn't. Is this the one that's a superb angle by Adley, though? Yeah. Yeah, there is. The angle is phenomenal. And then is a bit average. You look at this, right? So, what's happened? You've got kind of, you know, standard scrum, scrum set up around 15 meter line, right? You've then got 10 like for Canada. 10, 12, 13, 14 lined up. The usual big gap of like the, the winger is stood on the 50 meter line, far 50 meter line, opposite the Welsh equivalent. They're all lined up exactly there, right? Adrian Hadley is exactly in the gap between the 13 and the, the 14, which is about 15, 20 meters, right? And no Canadian notices him. They're all marking their opposite number and don't notice that they've brought Wales have brought another man round from the it. side. It's a brilliant angle by mm. Adrian Hadley, right? We all agree on that. Yeah. If a single Canadian cared, they could have stopped this try. Even right. if the winger had just stepped in one and just, you know, yeah. made it more, required an extra pass. It's the simple, it's just hands down the line thing until Hadley yep. gets that line between them. And then Yian's just waiting there like, oh, cheers, takes the offload. And, and you need to forget, though, this is quite early in, in Jiffy or the Nithudini, as he sometimes <laughs> career. So no one had invented numbers at this point. So Canada did not know what was happening. God, it was completely a really good point. <laughs> They'd only got up to three. That's as far as the numbers had got. They'd only got up to three, and that was so you could tell Glenn Webb how many tries he had scored the week before. <laughs> <laughs> Genuine question, though, actually. When that scrum was setting, do you think Jiffy turned to his centres and they asked for the move and he just went, numbers? Like, do you think he did? Because I, I'm not, like, n- no joke. Surely that was what he did. Because he thinks rugby is just, oh, yeah, take a give, take and give, and that's it. Like, did he just think that's that's what we'll do every sh- every scrum, unless he, we're trying to win Mark Ray Carr? Yeah, I was going to say, he just thought, I want a master. Yeah. <laughs> just go down to the line here. I don't think it's worthy of a master. Maybe a Toyota. Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're talking like Fisher-Price car. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I'm realising? Corsi red and yellow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, realistically... I know that this happened 35 years ago, but I'm guessing that car is won by John Kerwin. That car is won by John Kerwin. Realistically, right? That try was not scored by John Kerwin. It was scored by Fabio the dog. Fabio the dog deserved a car. They had better have given him the car and let him drive around the streets of Auckland in it. I think he got like the steering wheel and John Kerwin got the rest of the car. Yeah, that seems like a fair compromise. What did chase it like a Frisbee, you know? Yeah, exactly. Fittingly, the dog or a rover. Oh, oh, very good. Ah, oh, very good, very good. That joke was as good as that first try. Um, <laughs> other thing I want to mention: Ray Giles at scrum off for Wales. Mm-hmm. He's not he was called shit. Ray Giles. Yeah. He is little Ray Giles or small Ray Giles. <laughs> I don't think they mention him without mentioning that he is small <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. He's small. That's pretty much all I noticed about him. To be yeah. honest, he's um, a steel worker though. 
He was, was about he? four foot tall and a steel worker. <laughs> so good, good for him, man. Good for Raymond Giles. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess so. There's, <laughs> there's a point. So when the um, the Canadian replacement scrum half comes on, the the one who was born in Carmarthen, Dave Tucker, the commentator describes him as he is up to six foot tall. <laughs> That's how I'm now going to describe myself. <laughs> like he fluctuates each day. He's never above six foot, but he can be anywhere up to that, depending what day it is. <laughs> it's extendable. Yeah, the extendable scrub off. I love the they describe the scrub off like he's a competition prize. <laughs> It sounds like one of those uh, 1950s detective drawing the extendable from <laughs> It's got a great merger at the beginning. <laughs> Do you usually describe things as a great murder? <laughs> Depends if the murder is any good or not. <laughs> what, what do you think is a great murder? Give us a really good one. Um... <laughs> I mean, you put me on the spot here. I haven't done any lately. Um, so the one Jiffy's going to do on me uh, before he unfollows me. That, that time Mike Phillips replied to that one other One Direction. <laughs> oh, the rest of the Beatles with you. Yeah, that was a fantastic murder. I'll tell you what, actually, there's a great murder around here. <laughs> so at one point, you can just hear as a scrum is setting, a Welsh player scream, kill him, kill him, kill him, come on. Yes, I also heard chin him, chin him as well on two separate occasions. Like, very clearly, that look, whoever it was, it was the same guy, right? Saying both those things. Like, and usually I would say there's probably a one in two chance of guessing uh, which pl- Welsh player might have said that. But thankfully, the Welsh management have um, saved us a little bit by not picking one of those two players. It was obviously Paul Moriarty yeah. saying those things. <laughs> it was Paul or Richard. But okay, wild card Bob Norster. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you okay, one in two chance, sure. It wasn't one of the backs, we know that much for sure. Imagine Paul Fall on screen and chin him. Um, Jiffy. Oh, can I just say on IMDB, just just while we're talking about backs, because this is a note I forgot to write down. Ray Gravel is described as one of the last bearded backs, and I don't think that's true. No, I don't. And the Ray Gravel trivia. It genuinely says one of the last bearded backs. <laughs> was it just for quite a while? Was it like how for a long time there weren't any bearded MPs, and it just seems a no-no, and then it's kind of gone away in the last ten years. Speaking well, as a podcast with three people with beards, I don't know who are the most unbiased <laughs> sample. I mean, I'm a forward, so mm. I, I, I can't be included. But I, I, I think that that's a. At very least, a very dodgy fact, and second of all, not a fact. And third of all, not fun or trivial anyway. And, you know, the amount of players nowadays that experiment with facial hair. Yeah. Though, to be fair, to be fair, both Adam Beards were forwards. Um, should we move on? So, the Sam Beard, though. Sam Beard was a back. Oh, um, remember him. Remember Sam Beard? Remember Edinburgh and Dragon Centre? Sam Beard. What a career he had. Yeah. Um, so the there's then a point where you just go, oh, that's why they pick Jiffy, because he gets the ball, steps and goes like fifty meters, and, and then tries to throw a pass. Yeah, he would rather you didn't mention that, or else he will block you. 
just so you know. And then it happens kind of like two or three more times in a row that every time Juki gets the ball, he steps somebody and looks amazing. Mm. And as soon as he then tries to turn it into something more than just a good break, it just goes to pot and they can't finish anything. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, as I said, I think there's three times in this first half alone where Jiffy makes a break and then bombs it. Mm, yeah. On one of them, they, so as they're showing the replay, Keith Quinn on the comms says, Giles was under clear instructions there. Get the ball to me, boyo, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Which, second of all, like the end of that sentence suggests that it wasn't clear instructions at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that ends in something like that is not a clear. Second of all, yeah, where does this idea that Welsh people say boyo come from? I don't think I've ever heard somebody actually like unironically say boyo. No. And I'm in the, like, the depth of the valleys. Yeah. It's not something I come across regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Except yeah, probably... from by English people, which is not going to go with English people. I, I feel like this is when people say I'm not racist. I have. My, my girlfriend's English. Like, I, <laughs> but yeah, I, I've never heard anyone actually say it. You, no, it's just it feels like something someone said once. There's probably one guy that said it, mm. and it just stuck for some reason and sure. became a stereotype. Yeah, and then for the fact that um, Jiffy said boyo and was the first person to ever do it, uh, he gets penalised, and uh, Gareth Reese kicks a penalty, and it's six all. Yeah. I mean, uh, Ian Stewart makes a great break in the lead up to that as well. He does, he does, um, yeah. He again plays well before getting injured for a centre put at scrum off because he's good at diving on the ball. Yes. Um, you say he gets injured, I'd say he gets beat up. Yeah. It's brutal, isn't it? I'm pretty I sure he got shot. The most brutal thing about it is the assistant just stepping over, <laughs> even though he's clearly seen that something's happened. He's, could you just get off my line, please? Like, I'm trying to run the line. <laughs> oh, the Canadian fans, you can hear shouting at him at that point. Which they do a lot. Yeah, the oh, yeah, yeah. Throughout. Really vocal. Really vocal group. The coach, our very good friend, Denny Veach, says, oh, we've had some people have travelled over just for the World Cup. Amazed. <laughs> Yeah, some people have, which goes to show like how much of a success they obviously thought this was going to be. Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, they've flown over just for this shit. Like, this is unbelievable. We weren't expecting anyone, to be honest. They didn't even come and watch the the, the two best Auckland brass bands perform earlier. <laughs> they've just come for the World Cup. Even the Welsh have only turned up for a piss up on the beach, and half the fans are here to watch the ref. We're really shocked. <laughs> Jiffy said, and you know, looking back on this tournament, that everything was clearly done on the cheap, but we didn't know any differently, which kind of sums <laughs> the vibe of most of this World Cup up. With the point about them constantly going on about, like, oh yeah, the crowd, so many of the crowd will be here just to watch the referee. Yeah. Which chances are none of them knew who the referee was. No. Right. So we very gradually reached the point of all the Canadians starting to heckle the referee in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And there's one particular. Note I have written down. Someone in the crowd calls the referee a dork. It's <laughs> the most 1980s Canadian insult. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever watched a rugby match and someone's called the ref a dork. I, and I'm going to say, I've never heard the word dork on a rugby field. <laughs> yeah, there's somebody who three times shouts, Wake up, referee. Yeah. Just throughout, you can just constantly fair, hear him in the back line. He has a point. 
Oh we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, and like we'll move along, but for considering Canada had like a nine-one penalty count in their favour of like <laughs> they were getting all the penalties, Wales only got won one penalty all game. There are some questionable things he, not necessarily gives against Canada, but doesn't give to them. Yes. Should we just touch on the try at the end of the first half? Yeah. We can jump around in time a bit. Go for it. Because, so, you mentioned, Grav, that Canada are getting destroyed every set piece. They get destroyed every scrum where they have eight men. The moment they go to their ten-man scrum, scrum. it's like they have a two-man advantage. (laughs) Anyone would think... So a scrum five, they go for a, they they go for this ten man scrum and they shove Wales completely over and the Welsh pack just kind of malign, like line their bodies up and collapse in such a shape that the number eight can't get the number eight. They Glen sit Ellis, on the, the floor. The, the you know the bear from the revenant can't get through them. Like <laughs> if only they were Leonardo DiCaprio, he could have just roared through. I will I will correct you there, Robbie. He was playing super number eight, not number eight. Of course he was. He was a ten man scrum. He was playing super number eight. Number eight. <laughs> Um, and then moments later, he scores. They go over. That there, you know, there should be enough. There's three potential penalty tries against Wales, yeah. and then and then an actual try, and he gives it as held up in half time. <laughs> what I love about the Welsh front row there is that, like, you know when. Um, when your computer's frozen, your computer's frozen, you jam in the off button, and it goes, dum and then just goes black. That was what yes. happened to the Welsh scrum every time they reset it. <laughs> but it did feel like they kind of powered down re- to sap. They reset it twice, and at no point did anyone say, lads, shall, shall we chuck another two players in here? Like, if they put in 10 in, maybe we should put 10 in and see what happens. And someone's going, no. maybe Jiffy as captain went, nah, we'll be well, fine. You I'm mentioned that. that. No, you mentioned that because Jiffy was repeatedly pointing to, to it and saying to the referee, they've got 10 men. And the referee would turn to him and go, I know. And then Jiffy would go, they've got 10 men. And he would go, I know. And Jiffy would go, they've got 10 men. And he'd go, I know. And numbers. that just repeated. Numbers. He was looking at numbers. <laughs> so they've got nine men and a bay. but that is it it was we had the first try ever scored by a super number eight who was also a bear deprived of us from this referee i'm just gonna amend my dick of the day i have (laughs) written in my notes that was a try you shit and i think that about sums up sums up my thoughts on the moment yeah I feel like we're all cheering against Wales in this in this game. Well, I'm, I'm still at the point where I'm trying to work out what's going on because this isn't rugby like I know rugby. No, I've never seen all a right, ten ring. And I know you've touched on it before in previous episodes. You've never seen a scrum with the bear from the Revenant in it. <laughs> no, <laughs> seemingly there was a massive issue with rugby in the eighties of a player's boot coming off and whether the game should stop or should just carry on and fucking... Like, I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> surprisingly often, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of thinking about it. Yeah. Well, it was this a was thing really that was talked about in the comments, wasn't it? 80s. 
it was talked about on comms in a, a few games ago where Often, um, it was a thing a that like there was a rule that play should car- play has to carry on if there's a boot comes off and the Ukuzu fucking hated it. I think it was the Canada Tonga game. Mm. But yeah, what, what was happening? Yeah, we were just played, and like, would you have expected to be kick that ball without the boot? Were the tens walking over like massive swollen clubfoots? Were they just? I, 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 how was this a thing? Like, I didn't know this was so big in the eighties that I knew about you know, drugs and Depeche Mode, but I didn't know <laughs> that rugby players' boots was such a massive issue at the time. It was. It was Spielberg and, <laughs> and rugby player boot controversies. Maybe laces was, weren't invented yet. This was it. It was just before they had defence. All they had to talk about was just players' boots, whether they should stay on or off. Well, obviously you get people now who complain that the game's too slow because we reset scrubs. Mm. Then they were complaining the game's too slow because he's allowed to replace his footwear that's come off. Well, this is the, that's how much they didn't want the game slowed down. You just carry on. I don't want to know. Just, just get on with it. Strange, strange times. Oh, just absolutely bizarre. Um, at one point, Pat Palmer on the wing for Canada. So Worth put a little kick in behind him, and he goes to try and hack the ball out ten meters behind him, like towards his own goal line. Um, ten meters further back, misses touch, and then when he regathers it, Canada win a penalty. It's like, yeah, maybe you should have done that in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) See, look, you mentioned um, that we get to half-time. And something that I wasn't expecting, but I absolutely love. Yes! We get a sequel to the Kermit the Frog Team Talk saga. And I'm about to play you Kermit's Team Talk. Okay, don't let it get a hold of you. Glenny, forget that stuff. All right, just keep working, keep plucking, keep sticking it to them. You've got a whole stand that wants nothing but to see the guys win. All them folks want nothing but to see the guys win. They want to send us to Australia. Come on, let's work on that. Okay, okay fantastic words there again from Hans de Goody, the Canadian coach. And they're very excited for <gasps> the Canadian camp, both on the field and off the field as well. I love that, A, he calls him Hans de Goody, the Canadian coach, not the captain, and then says, uh, and the good news is they're very happy on the field and off the field as well. It's just like, it's good that they're doing well off the field, but I don't think that's what they're talking about in the team talk. I think they're trying to just focus on the game for now, but thanks, Keith. I love them saying there's a stand of people, like there's like 20 people over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calling the ref a dork, you're like. (laughs) That's what we should do it for. To be fair, the crowd was loudest when they made breaks. Maybe when he was talking about them having a good time on and off the field, he was talking about the the goodies in in general, because as we know, there was millions of them and they were doing Mm. all sorts of things on and off the pitch. Maybe he was just talking about the Muppets. Yeah, well, that's (laughs) it. It's amazing that... Because obviously that's the last part of the team talk. He's trying to pump them up. But when he was going through their tactics before, and he was just asking them why there's so many songs about rainbows, (laughs) they were like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. He was like, no, and what's on the other side of their defensive line? And uh, Hounds, we're lost. We're lost. (laughs) Just, come on, boys, it's time to start the music. It's time to light the lights. <laughs> <laughs> time to meet the Muppets in our backline tonight. 
There's look the the Goody Team talk isn't quite as funny as the previous one that we covered, no. but I do enjoy that he's he singles out Glenn Ellis as being responsible for the fact that they didn't score that. Like he wasn't the one person in that pack who did just score a try, and he singles out and says, "Oh, don't worry about it. You know, we'll go again." And he, he seems very confident, does Kermit? Yeah, as yeah, he's never really lacked confidence, has he? But uh, he's a natural performer. Good grief. That he was worried that uh, obviously he was going to get a star on the walk of fame before him. That's why he took a lot of anger on him. <laughs> knowing, knowing for I'm the most famous animal in Hollywood. Taking bear costumes. That was it. Before Fozzie, he worked with the Bear from the Revenant. Yeah, yeah, and Bruce Breen in the Bat Row, the, yeah. the Batman. It's a real, real distinguished career there. Such um, a star-studded back five that Canada have here. So, can we talk a bit about Bled and Bowen? Yeah. Because he made me really wish that he just followed Jiffy around at all times. Because <laughs> anytime Jiffy does something terrible, Bledon Bowen feels like he's there to just kind of pick up the pieces and just make the best of it. And sure. he does all of the game management for this Welsh team. And he does all the little, like, there's a few times mm. he just puts kicks in and does, like, simple, like, stabs, grubbers through and so on for other people. Like, yeah. He, if ever there's something that needs doing that will make other people other than Jiffy look good, it's mm. normally Bledon Bowen doing it. Yeah. And I think he is such a, like an important cog in making Jiffy play well. Yes. And I just wish he could have followed him into punditry. I just sat behind him to just like, explain what a tip online is. <laughs> or to just be, you know, probably like, oh, no, you said numbers four times already. And Jiffy go, oh, number. It's just, you, you just want him behind him just at all times, just to hold him back a little bit. <laughs> I wish he could have had blood and bowing around him at all times. Well, I think about three times before kickoff, they say that in much nicer terms. They say, oh, you know, Jiffy's this this maverick talent, and Bledin Bowen's there to sort of keep him on the reins. And they sort of, and yeah, what you realise is what they're saying when Jiffy's shit, Bledin makes him look good. <laughs> when, the, when there's not a gap open in front of him for Jiffy to run through, Bledin tries to get him to create something else. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of no surprise that uh, Bowen was given the Welsh captaincy the year after this. Um, oh, was he now? Right. For the last couple of years of Makes his career. Sense. The he second try... Nuts and bolts. He was like the Hadley Parks of his tie. Mm, yeah. <laughs> the second try is set up by Bowen himself putting mm. Yain Evans in the corner. They just attack the blind side and it's one of those where like, when they start to do it, I thought, oh, we're going to somehow blow this. But Bowen did the right thing, managed yeah. to take and give, take and give. It's as simple as that. Numbers uh, for Yain to score. So, and that was, that was at that point, I think everybody realised like, yeah, Good effort, Canada. Yeah. That's when it becomes, as the as the commentators put it, um, an orgy of point scoring. So Did they say that? Yeah. <laughs> an orgy of point scoring. So an orgy of point scoring. There's more to it than this. So just before that line of commentary, Adrian Hadley scores for a genuinely great backline move. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's lovely, you know, like there's a man wrapped round, hits the line very late, and then they just go hands back and then Hadley dives in the corner, right? Mm. It is described by Keith Quinn on comms in the in the kind of on the replay as a threesome in the Welsh midfield. <laughs> and then one minute later, he says well, you know, if you look at the averages in this World Cup, it's there's very high scoring games. We're having an orgy of point scoring. And he then says, there have so far been 1,069 points scored in this tournament. Very nice. Which explains everything. (laughs) 
could see where his mind was at. So the, it was on the 1069th point that he threw out the threesome and the orgy. We've all been there. <laughs> so, so, yep. So, um, yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. So, uh, why don't we have that kind of punditry anymore? You know, game's gone soft. Uh, yeah. Unlike, unlike well, that's why the... if the game's gone soft, there's no chance of. <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah. You know. Some of these jokes write themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um... Mainly so we don't have to. Hands the goodie all over. So we also have. Sorry, bit... I just remembered about the guy who's up to six foot tall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bill Hans trying, trying to crowbar a Tom Wood joke in there somewhere, and I'm out. I'm out. Ah. <laughs> oh, nice. Like Tom Woods <laughs> out of the freezing in midfield. So Bill Hansen goes over, but he's held up for Canada, which felt like bullshit at first. But when you see the reverse, utter angle, bullshit. Yeah, it kind of, like, maybe, but also you kind of suspect did score. Yeah. You know, it's less conclusive than it perhaps looks at first, which is a real shame because Hanson, Bill Hanson is actually the brother of the creator of Hans the Goody. Jim, his brother Jim, was, of course, the creator of uh, Hans the Goody, his captain. Of course. course. And that's why he's called Hans, because he's Hans' son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not not because Hans go up, up Kermit at all. Um, yeah, because he's he's definitely not a hand puppet. So the that the standard of humour on this podcast has gone down rapidly. Try being disallowed prompts the last wake up referee. Um, yeah. Oh, there's one more after that. There's one more after. I thought there was yeah, three. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So oh, there's also then yeah. Shortly afterwards, shortly after this, Bled and Bowen again finds himself on the wing, and whereas a lot of players are just quite happy to go into touch in this World Cup, including under very little pressure. Mark Wyatt a few times just kicks the ball out when anyone comes near him. <laughs> Ledin Bowen sees himself going towards the touchline and does a full Lloyd Williams kick in field. Overhead! Yeah! Which is then regathered, they offload, and John Devereux scores in the opposite corner. It, it's a brilliant try in terms of it's fantastic to watch, but all of it seems unintentional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. None of it seems like it was meant to happen. But it's fantastic to watch, except maybe the initial break. That, yeah. that seems, but yeah, it, it's it's absolutely bonkers as far as strange go. That that <laughs> kick is, I still argue, and I know that this is the controversial one that Lloyd Williams didn't mean that kick to go to Gareth Davis. Mm. He completely miskicks it because he's aiming to play into the path of Toby Falato. Quite clearly, <laughs> he doesn't even notice that Gareth Davis is there. No, yeah, and uh, that, I've argued this for years. But I think it's probably meant it more than whatever the fuck happened here. Cause I... Oh, yeah, yeah. At least Lloyd looks up. Yeah. You know, he, he sees some space. I, I do believe that he was trying to get it somewhere in the direction he was going for. What I don't believe is the narrative of like, oh, he's usually a scrum off. He knew exactly where Gareth Davis was going to be. It's like, no, that bit's bollocks, mate. Like, Lloyd Williams is the greatest left winger ever produced, though, by anybody. So left winger producing the hey, hey, as far as I'm concerned, Lloyd Williams could be the next Adrian Hadley. <laughs> so, any more tries to uh, to well, do? I mean, Jif, uh, even bigger than a try, Jiffy finally makes a break and gets a pass in. Pretty he good. Gets a very simple pass inside of Bled and Bowen. Mm. Um, yes, just because it's the only person he can trust. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yain gets his hat trick. He does. Um, all I have written is another shit one. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what happens there. I, I wasn't sure what happened because by this point I was so busy cross-referencing IMDb and missed two tries. 
<laughs> John Devereux runs a good line, and Yain runs a decent support line. That's of course, it. of course. Oh, it's similar. Yeah, yeah, similar to the first one. Yeah. Um, Leden Bowen scores a try himself. Where Does? Jiffy catches the ball on a five meters out and just goes. You know what? I don't fancy using this overlap. I don't fancy using numbers. I'm going to step myself three times. I fancy a Mazda. Yeah. Yeah. So he just does a bunch of sidestepping bullshit. Then, as he's about to hit the deck, passes the bow and he just goes flop. Scores. Easy as that. The commentators then get. I don't mean he dives over the line. I mean he just says flop out loud. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, and he's given four points for it. Like that was actually in the rules that if you say the word flop out loud. Yeah, yeah, it was boots and the word flop controversy is really dominating rugby at the time. Yeah, yeah. So like the commentators pass, then pass. commentators then talk about the fact they get a phone call saying that uh, the Canadians actually didn't invent the 10-man scrum. It was actually invented by the Kiwis after the war. Uh, again, we, so we had this before where commentators got a phone call complaining about refereeing decision. What at what point did they shut phone lines straight to commentary booths <laughs> so you could correct anything they say? Was and it when Jiffy retired? They, maybe. Why didn't they? But he went into the to Will Green were doing the Lions last year. Christ! I mean, I I'm pretty sure that would have like changed the economy. The amount of people would have spent on extra minutes and data in order to uh, to get those phone calls through to Will Greenwood. Bad news, we've uh, we've lost the, the test series. Uh, the good news is my shares in BT are through the roof. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alan Phillips scores a try on his return to the Welsh team after five years, which is, yeah, pretty much just Yian being class, just Yian being really good at rugby. It yeah. offloads last second to, to Phillips, who scores. It's literally that simple. Yeah, he he was brilliant. Like, I do remember Yian Evans being old mm. enough. Like I remember the early nineties, and he was fantastic. And not so great at aftershave, but <laughs> really good at uh, at rugby. He was brilliant. He was class as a kid. He was always the player that I loved to watch. Mm. He makes it look really easy. I mean, probably because he's playing Canada and defensive shit, and so it was pretty easy. But <laughs> he just always made everything look really easy. Yeah, and like this was the start of his career. You know, he had made his debut in the Six Nations this year. Yeah. And so was in his first five caps here. And you can see how this kid goes on to become the player he would be. Yeah. I mean, literally, that leaves leaves on the last try of the game. I all I have written down is Yai and Try taking the piss. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much that. Uh, I mean, brilliant finish and the best thing Jiffy does all game. Yeah. Wait, what does Jiffy do? Just so Jiffy kind of like skirts around his man, then draws the next line and, does it and gives it, but times it well. Okay, um, yeah. It's an actually really good touch. Like, it, yeah, it really yeah. works. It's amazing how much we've absolutely roasted Jiffy. And he, he he's his meter's made stat must have been through the roof here. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he had a really good game. As the game went on as well, I'll say. Yeah. Like, first off, he was, he was shit. But as the game went on, he, he did improve. I'd still say his passing so. Awful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he got better. Yeah. Well, you see that, can I just say that Gareth Roberts, the Welsh Open side, is only 28. (laughs) That that man and that face and that hairline is not 28 years old. No, 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 no. He looked at least 40. Yeah, I've got nothing more to expand on that, but I thought it'll kill him. He did look and play like 
when you're playing second team rugby and you see somebody who's like in their late 40s and you think oh jackpot like you know <laughs> these can't be that good if they've still got like an, an old Very geezer playing here so Yian Evans had scored four tries in this game right which equaled the record of Maurice Richards who had scored four tries as well in a game like 50 years earlier and as a kind of forfeit celebration punishment whatever Yian Evans was forced that night to drink a glass of buff oysters what? Um, this made him, in, well, in Yain's words, this made me violently ill and I've never touched an oyster since. Robert Norster, whose idea it was, says, <laughs> Bluff Cove oysters, the biggest in the world, supposedly, they were monstrous. It wasn't just Yain. We got into a bit of a contest. Anthony Buchanan struggled. There were still buckets full of them. You'd have to stand up, pluck one out, swallow it. All the best. Have a, all the best. Have a drink. Bucks hated the thought of Easting eating an oyster. He was coughing and retching. He just couldn't keep them down. Every time he thought he'd manage one, it was like it would shoot back out as a projectile. I mean, hell of a way, when you just discover your best player, that night you make him violently ill? Yep. Interesting Great strategy, idea. fellas. Great, I know by Bob Norster. Yeah. God, there's Am a lot I of dick in the days. I that um, Rob Norster was a teacher at this point. I believe so, Yeah. <laughs> Yikes! Also, did, did you start by saying you had to drink a pint? Of a oysters? pint of oysters. Yeah, but I don't want to make this like a ton of feathers. But it doesn't matter how big those oysters are if he's drinking a pint, <laughs> still taking on <laughs> the same it's amount the of oysters. <laughs> a kilogram of steel or a kilogram yeah. of feathers. <laughs> so yeah, oh yeah, quick Canadian leaving part. Oh. Okay. We need Carly Ray. Mo- Get Carly Ray. In. Give me a moment. Give me a moment. Yeah, yeah. Carly Ray. Blah, 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 she's blah. she's in she's in the back uh, in the back in the background. All the lawyers. Gotta... Carly uh, Ray, come in, uh, come in, come in. Here she is. Oh, how are you doing, Carly? How are you? Oh yeah, no, me too. Yeah, thanks for asking me, Carly. So God, brilliant. Thanks, Carly. So Canada, nineteen eighty-seven. Right. These leaving I... parties are getting less and less serious as time goes on. I'm so, realizing I don't care about any of these teams. I thought Hans de Goody was good. I thought Probably. he was a good captain. I thought he had a couple of good games early on. He stood out to me. You can see how he goes on to spawn about six internationals. Yeah, yeah, um, I can definitely see that. And like, I enjoy his team talks a lot. But truthfully, yeah. my, my, I mean, well, Gareth Fries. Very quickly, yeah. So Gareth Fries, yeah. I mean, only had two caps going into this World Cup. And he was get where he's going to play for them for yeah. a billion years oh, after yeah, this. Yeah. And then Worth we, mentioning course... his 18,000 drop goals against Ireland as well. Yes, of course. Cool. You know, scoring for the 5,000 points they managed to score in that game. Yeah. Um, and the other guy I want to mention is really standing out. So Ian Stewart, I think, stands out. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. And also Spence McTavish, who doesn't play in this game. Uh, yeah. Spike, as he's known, because Spike his nickname was himself. Arachnid. <laughs> Who I thought was I thought was good. I thought he was a good rugby player. Yeah, but yeah. If I'm nominating a player of the tournament for Canada, it has to be Glenn Ennis. It has to be the because Bear from the Revenant, doesn't it? If the Bear from the Revenant is playing for Canada in the World Cup, he's my player of the tournament. I don't care. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's the Bear, and he's yeah. also Colossus as well. It's incredible. And Andy plays on- Super Number Eight. Honestly, Dick of the tournament. I have no idea. It's the lot of them. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't pick one out. Let's pick one at random. Let's say Carl Svoboda, who's playing hooker for them in this game. Apparently, brilliant. Okay. Oh uh, no, I like him. He's of uh, Czech Czech descent. I was oh, reading him. Pick another one. <laughs> B 
Bill Hansen. Yeah, there fuck we it. go. Yeah, Bill okay. Hansen. <laughs> Why he was going to hear because he thought it was Hansen. Uh, <laughs> Grav, do you have anything you want to say about Canada before we do Man of the Match and Dick of the Day? Um, is it bad if I say no? Like, not really. That's yeah, fair look, neither did we. Just we've committed to this as a thing we do now. Oh, I think if the, if the standard of the leaving parties are, you know, dro- dropping, then we need to get Bruce Wayne involved. Things only go well at those parties. You have an a- excellent point. We'll have to look. We'll, we should definitely keep that in mind for the next one. Look, actually, Ruby, the next party we're doing will be the USA's leaving party, which is mm. where Batman is sometimes from, depending on which canon you're following. <laughs> oh, fat. Yeah, as I believe the town's pronounced. Yeah, That's yeah. Quite exciting. Okay. Yeah. So, should we move on to Man of the Match and Dick of the Day, finally? Let's, let's finally do it. Okay, should I start? Go for it. Why not? It's not a Man of the Match. And so, Yarin Evans is the obvious shout because he's got sure. sports yeah. runners. But, for me, just for the, the amazing act of, A, being genuinely class in a way I wasn't expecting, you see why Wales were missing him so much and why he was talked about as having been injured for so long. <laughs> that being such a negative for Wales. And for making Jiffy tolerable at times, uh, I want to go with Bledin Bowen as my man of the match. I respect it. I respect it. I think uh, he, he had an excellent game. He was he really came to life in the second half. I do have him written down my notes. Uh, should, I, should I just go next, seeing sure. as I'm talking? I mean, I am very torn because I, I did consider Bledin Bowen. I think that I'm probably not going to go with him, but Yian Evans, I mean, it's hard to ignore his four tries. So I'm kind of in a bit of an arm wrestle between him and the bear from the Revenant because he's had a, he's had another man of the match before, and I just kind of want to give him another one. Man of the match is Giant Evans. Okay, and Grav, it, it is hard to overlook Giant Evans, and that's why I will. Man of the match is clearly Ray Giles, and that's because near the end of the game, Eamon Ennis come face to face and grab shirts. And now Leonardo DiCaprio had combat training with the Israeli army in Clint Eastwood, right? And he got fucked up by Ennis in the Revenant. <laughs> Giles doesn't back down for a second. Right? I don't care what training you've had. If you're a steelworker from Kenvigil, right, you're not... <laughs> you can come to face-to-face with any base you want to, so he's my man of the match. I love it. And I argue with the logic there. <laughs> but it's really funny because I had him written down for Dick of the Day for getting into a fight with a bear. <laughs> <laughs> on a rugby field but you make such a compelling point that that is the fact that he didn't die and you, yeah. as you say Leo got fucking mauled man like which means that all this Giles... all this nonsense that they tell you about lay down act dead and cover your neck like Leo tried that and he, he was near death <laughs> Ray Giles not even a wound yeah. just don't be as annoying as Jiffy and you'll be fine <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> maybe he was just trying to get at Jiffy he's like I want to eat him <laughs> Dick of the day for me. I mean, yeah, I had that written down. I also, I have, I have, I have written down flag thing, and I have no idea what that's referring to. I have written down. Um, oh no, no, no that oh, be the Grav. Yeah, of course, of course. I have written down uh, die the dragon and his leak because he lick, yeah. nicked the leak from that boy from the other week. Uh, sat down on the, the sideline there. I have written down Jiffy, not for any reason, yeah. but j- just for being Jiffy. But f- frankly, my dork of the day is the referee. <laughs> Hard to argue with that. And so, I mean, I also, I also very close to giving it to Jiffy just generally, just for general reasons. 
And also, again, the referee for that and disallowing the Canadian try, being a massive, massive dork. It's um, a dork. It's a massive dork. <laughs> but, so, my dick of the day, right? At one point, right, the ball comes loose whilst Ka- where was a few metres out from Canada's line, kind of spills out, and the one of the... I think it's probably the Scrum and Stewart pops it up to Gareth Reese, right? Gareth Reese looks up, he sees Paul Moriarty running at him, <laughs> and he drops the ball on the floor. He stood on his own goal line. <laughs> and he gets really lucky that the referee blows for the knock-on before playing advantage, because Moriarty would have scored, because he just gets so scared that he just drops the ball. And I... for that, for that, Jonathan Davis is my dick of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that there's a point where there's a loose ball that bounces onto the Welsh try line, and instead of just diving on it and getting the four points, Bruce Breen just kicks it instead. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's like, "What are you doing? You could score if you literally just put your hand down." Uh, grab. <laughs> that was good. That was, yeah. I, I consider Tawny for the old flag thing as well, but I on this day, beautiful shithouse and Adonis in white underpants. Johan Uge was born. I, I no, no, wait. There's more. So I built this big thing where I wrote up something to tie this all in. And then I realised that the website I was looking at actually had the fucking date wrong and he was born the day before. And even with the time difference between New Zealand and France, I couldn't get away with it. And the best I could do was Michelle Keegan was born. So the dick of the day is me because I should have checked that first. No, <laughs> before I wrote no, it. no, 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 no. I am taking Michelle Keegan as dick of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Ch- 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 symbol, Michelle Keegan. I'm fine with it. You but, should write yeah. it in as one entry: Johan Uge and Michelle Keegan. Yeah, well, me, but I, I did time difference and everything. I was so desperate to mention Johan Uge. I'd like they've they nothing exciting happened this day. Like the the Wales Tonga game. I think you mentioned Michael Jackson tried to buy John Merrick through means, which is yes, insane. Yeah. And Tim Visser was born as well. Yeah. And, and, and it, it, you know, produced one of my favourite fun lyrics from the Bay Naked Ladies when he had all those crazy elephant bones, which is like a great line. But yeah, nothing exciting happened. But despite that, I wrote quite a lot of notes about you and Uji, and then I've had to delete them all. Please, so, let's um, just pretend. Let's just pretend this game was. Oh, they're gone now. They're gone. Oh, oh no! <laughs> Never to but be. If heard. you want to take just a few seconds just to think of you and Uji walking around in his underpants, then you know I'm, I'm, I'm game for that. Look. It's eight o'clock. That's what I do anyway. <laughs> is that the watershed? No. <laughs> it is in France anyway. It's, it's nine over there. <laughs> Time difference. Exactly. Back to it. Okay. Grav, where can people find you? Where can people find the stuff? Where can people find the podcast, Twitter, etc.? Please, the other, the other pod, the six podcasts, please, please tell us everything where people can find more of you. I'm at Rock and Roll or R and R Rugby on Twitter. I am on Gavin Steph is the name of our horror podcast, which is really confusing because I go by Grav on one and Steph on the other, which is more confusing when the other person's called Gav, which is obviously one letter different. And so it makes it I didn't think this through logically, I'll be honest. <laughs> I've got a website. I can't remember what it is. It exists. It's it's rockandroll.co.uk. Oh um stunning. The wonders of Google. Yeah, I'm there. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok, but not as much. (laughs) 
I I would strongly implore anybody who doesn't already uh, who is listening uh, to check out Grav's uh, not only podcast because the podcast is is excellent, um, but also the the stuff you've uh, you've recently written, namely the thing shit talking is Ralph Allow. Oh, that's a re- that's really good. That's really excellent. Yeah. It is it is not only important but also informative and also above all entertaining. So. <laughs> Well, one of the um, things that I was stopped from doing on the website was Israel's flow slash fiction, which I then wanted my friend, my, our, our good friend, friend of our podcast and yours, Sam Lana, to mm. read it on the podcast <laughs> and I could make a better content. I haven't asked Sam yet, but at some point I'm going to get drunk and go, I'm just going to tweet it and see what happens. So, yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying I, I'm enjoying doing the, uh, the website again, but any chance to point out what... Uh, Armful on the fall is your followers and should not be listened to by any single person. I would yeah, think. yeah. We should do a crossover of Israel Flow fan fictions. I think that's a good I idea. I should go back to mine from. So when you first did the thing, I wrote a piece of blood and mud that isn't properly online, but you can get it on like archive.com and stuff on the dark web. About his, yeah, about Israel Falau and his just being a general twat. The end of a piece of fan fiction about how much he fancies David Pocock. And then I wrote a few pieces of follow-up it's stuff. President uh, Pocock, no. Yeah, that I put out as Patreon exclusives because I <laughs> thought people would pay for that. But yeah, yeah, we should do like, we should have like an extended like Falau-verse. Yeah. Of, <laughs> do you remember? Versions of Israel Falau. I've, okay, I've just had an incredible that, idea. Right. The mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you remember that game that you play in school where somebody writes one sentence of a story you pass the paper along and somebody writes the next sentence and so on we should get a group together to do that with israel falau fan fiction i'm in just a great idea just a great yeah. idea we look, we've already and got we three get... sam that's four we've... polukefu five oh i've okay. i've actually got malachi fekitoa's phone number so i'll i'll give him a bell and see if he fancies it <laughs> I, I, I am completely in on this. I know this is our, I, I, I mean, I don't know this is half joking. This is happening now. I don't think I'm quite joking. <laughs> I think I'm being serious, but let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. But in the meantime, what we're going to do is leave you alone <laughs> yeah, and end this podcast and see you next week when our game will be England 34, USA 6. <laughs> Which, that will be a load of fun and we're going to have a guest on that episode as well yep yep all lined up all happening and we'll see you then in the meantime grab thank you very much for joining us Thanks well thank you very much for joining us again me thank okay. me for for stuff thank you very um much. and thank you for listening and thank the great bear from the revenant for gracing us with his past and present and continued successes Thank you all very much. Good night. It's time to... It's, it's, it's time goodbye. to take off music. Yep. It's time to... <laughs> Turn off the lights. End the lights. So call me maybe. <laughs>